Just before we get started, the Second Act Podcast would like to acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on Treaty 7 land inhabited by the Blackfoot Nations. This includes the Siksika, Pikani, and Kainai. We would also like to acknowledge the Sutsina and Stony Nakoda First Nations, as well as the Métis Nations and all people who make their home on Treaty 7 land in southern Alberta. But now that we've paid respects to people that were here before us, let's start the pod. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Second Act Podcast, and today's guest is Trev Leota. Trev came to us as a recommendation from friend of the show, Phil Mason, and uh, Trev's got an incredible story. I mean, he he played rugby all over the world and uh, was was an incredible rugby player um, and kind of, you know, did all the, all the things that a professional athlete does until uh, the end of his career when he realized that maybe um, he didn't have all the skills he required to carry on with his life. Yeah, Trev's story is a super it's a super cool one for the pod because it kind of shows that there's second acts everywhere in life. Trev went from being a professional athlete and when that didn't fulfill him, he went to helping people work towards their future and Trev lives in us lives in Australia, but it just really shows that every day everywhere people are achieving and going after their second acts. It's very inspirational. Yeah, that's kind of what I took from it too. I know he's working with, you know, um, folks that have developmental handicaps and physical handicaps and stuff now. And and he's using the determination and the perseverance that allowed him to be a professional athlete for all those years to help people, you know, push forward and, and make sure that they're maximizing their gifts. And I think that that's really the kind of piece you have to take away from this was, you know, when you're on top of the world, a professional athlete fulfilling all those dreams there's still more for you to do that. And that might not be all that you have to give the world. Yeah, it was, it was a really good pod. And um, Trev was a great guy, uh, very fun pod. Uh, So without any further ado, here is Trev Leota. Thanks for having me, man. It's good to hear a Canadian accent. (laughs) Yeah. Canadian accents. I've, uh, like I was just saying, I, um, I spent a little time abroad here over the break. So I'm, uh, I'm, in the accent, you know, my brain is always uh, trying to piece together what everyone's saying to me because uh, for a long time, that's that's the only way I could get some lunch. It's it's a lot slow and clear. Slow and clear, yeah, me too. That's 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 the way. If we do it together, uh, we'll meet in the middle. Um, really appreciate you taking some time to sit down with us. Um, a good friend of 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 ours, uh, mutual friend of ours, Phil Mason, um, has been listening to my pod. I work with Phil a little bit and he said, you know, I got a guy who, uh, who's done a lot of really, a lot of really interesting things, uh, and, and played some really high level rugby all over the world. And and I have a f- couple of friends that, um, that are familiar with the rugby world. Uh, it's not as popular as, as, you know, lots of things here in Canada, but, uh, and then when I asked about your name, um, there was a, f- a few things that came up that, uh, you know, the hardest hitter. And then one guy actually said, uh, one guy said, you gotta, you gotta ask him about how much he loves Kentucky fried chicken. So, so we can talk about <laughs> that later, but, um, really, pre- really appreciate you taking some time to sit, to sit down with us and maybe go over, uh, uh, and, and reflect a little bit on some of the things that you've done. Yeah, definitely. Man. Sounds good, man. So, uh, why don't you give us a little bit of an idea of, um, of, who Trevor Leota is, you know, I, I know you, you're, you're born in New Zealand, I believe. Right. And, and, uh, grew up in, in that part of the world and became, um, famous playing rugby all over the world. But, but before the stuff that we can find on the internet uh, about you, what, uh, what, what was your life like? 
don't know, I was just, uh, you know, back in West Auckland, back in Massey, you know, three siblings and and a mum and sort of uh, dad was in and out of the house. So, uh, so mum worked out for us and all that stuff, so it was a pretty hard upbringing, but we carried on and, yeah, and then I found rugby as a, as a kid and then at Massey Rugby Club was my first club. And then, uh, yeah, had a great family, the Wilsons, that uh, sort of took care of me as well and, and brought me out for rugby and it's just carried on from there. So then, was, uh, was rugby like a, uh, something that, you know, uh, th- that all the kids did or was that something that you were exposed to early and, and were able to determine that you had a little bit of a knack for? Oh, yeah, there was a lot of, there's a lot of kids who went to rugby and all that stuff. But for me, it was uh, just my getaway, right? So, from being growing up in a broken home and, you know, sort of trying to find my way through life, sort of helped me out. So, no, it was good. Rugby was a great start and helping my siblings at the same time. Is there, was there ever like, you know, in Canada or in North America, the idea of playing professional sports, I think every kid has that dream. Um, but it, but it's way, way, you know, down the, the opportunity, the options, the, the chances of it happening are so slim. Uh, I have I have to think, you know, it's no different for a young lad from, from New Zealand and rugby. Like oh. the idea of playing professional probably never really dawned on you, right? Never, never did. It was just, uh, you know, those times when I was at, when I was young and all that growing up, it was just about playing rugby and making new friends and, and getting out. And it's just, uh, it was just a great opportunity that I got that I made, started making rep teams and all this stuff. So, yeah. And once you're playing, playing rep teams and stuff like that, is there a, a huge commitment from your family to time-wise and money-wise to, to have, make you available for that? Or is that something that, um, you know, once you're, proven that you're good enough to do it, um, it kind of just falls into place. Uh, back in those days, back in my days, well, anyway, it was like, uh, yeah, the, the club, the, the Wilsons were a big help to me. They, father was my coach and I played with his son and they sort of helped us out and also the club helped us out. So it wasn't, uh, it wasn't too bad back in those days when I was just different now. Uh, sort of, you know, everything, if you make professionalism, you get everything automatic, right? So back in those days, you still had to work hard for it and, and also fundraise money and all that stuff. But I had a lot of help. But uh, yeah, once I started uh, noticing to get into the rep teams, I had a lot of help around me, so it was good. And and you're playing um, you're playing rep, and you're you know you're maturing, you know as a as a young man. Um, what what like was it? difficult i guess to maintain that kind of trajectory as you have found girls and beer and all those kind of things or were you you know really kind of focused and singular minded on on executing this dream no i was definitely focused as i got older like 15 but the thing is i found i found my partner i was 15 she was a bit older but uh yeah we had two beautiful kids together but i just carried on with what i was what is what i love doing right so yeah, happened. I uh, happened to go to after all the rugby stuff. Probably when I was about fourteen or thirteen, I ended up going to Australia for for you know for Manly, Manly oh, wow. good. So played a bit of league as well. So yeah, but then what uh, was it, yeah, what was it like as as a fourteen year old? I mean, you're you're still just a kid. What was that like uh, oh, to to yeah. move away? Oh, to move away was a bit scary, but you know, sort of you know, I wanted to once I. 
found that he get paid to play rugby, you know, and he just wanted he was just focused on one thing. But uh, yeah, I started playing senior rugby when I was 15, 14. So I was playing union and league, but as soon as I went to Manly, sort of had to focus on the rugby league there. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it uh, it forces you know as a as a kid, I guess you you really understand that it's because it's a business at that point, and you're getting paid for it, and there you know you have to bring your work boots and your lunch pail every day, or there's some somebody else is going to do that and take your spot, right? Oh, exactly, man. Those, those times, man, you just had to train. Those times, I was just training my butt off and making sure I was always better than the, my opposite opponent. Yeah, yeah carry on. It was good. And then uh, Mr. Graham Henry found me in Australia and took me back to New Zealand. Oh, okay. So you were uh, burning up the airwaves, collecting the air miles back and forth, were you? And man, so yeah, ended up, Graham Henry brought me back to Kelston Boys, where all my family went, sort of a famous rugby school. And then, yeah, played a couple of years there and, yeah, played New Zealand School Boys and grew up and played in the Auckland, Auckland so, competition. So how old were you when you, uh, when you ended up you know, working working with the wasps and, and moving around, you know, more Always. than just yeah. yeah, with wasps I was uh, seventeen, eighteen, going on yeah, eighteen going on nineteen when I went to England. And ninety five I, I made a tour for Samoa. And uh we toured Scotland and then uh, my first my first time I got knocked out, got hit in the head. So I had to leave the tour and then come back to New Zealand. But then yeah. And then uh, yeah. Because of Wasp, it's because of my cousin Inga, uh, Inga the Winger, Twigamana. Yeah. He was the one that brought me over to Wasp. So, yeah, man. And that's so, it all started from there. So when you're when you're touring around the world as a you know twenty year old or a young man, um, were you, you know, was it overwhelming to to understand that these people halfway, literally halfway around the world? Uh, you know, played the same game as you, and under by you know the same rules are understood by people from all the way that far around the world. And then you guys get together and play each other. What was, what was it like to put all that together? I mean, eighteen, nineteen, twenty—you're still a young man at that point, right? Oh, it was unbelievable. You know, like I said, you know, growing up, you know, in a in a rough area and and with a you know broken family and just going out and meeting other people from different countries was just it was just awesome. It was just great to meet people, different accents. I freaked out about the accents. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I slowly got used to it. Slowly got used to it. And just, uh, it's just a night, nice to meet you know, good, a lot of good people around the world, and especially in the rugby terms. Because so. rugby is like family, right? So no matter where you go in the world, there's always someone looking after you. It's, uh, and, and rugby is, a, I mean, a, a, a violent, um, or can be a very violent game. What what about the game that I guess uh, attracted you to it um, was applicable when you were meeting all these people, the teamwork, the camaraderie, and then you go out there and try to rip each other's head off for for a period of time, and then you shake hands at the end of the game, and and as you started piecing it together all around the world, that that it was the same everywhere you went. Was there was there lessons you were learning at the time, or 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 you know things that you carried along with you even now to this day that that came to to light through that oh, competition? Yeah. Well, the biggest thing was I grew up with my grandfather. He was he was he was in my my life a lot, and uh, and my uncles as well. My mum's brothers they would smash me. My grandfather would tell me, you know, if you don't care about your body, you go a long way in rugby. 
Yeah. And, uh, just, and then from then on, I just, I've never played the, everyone reckons I was dirty, but it's just the way I was being brought up and play hard, keen rugby, right? So, and you see the game now, it's sort of gone a bit soft for these new rules, but, you know, that's life. Yeah, and I think that's uh, a universal truth with sports, um, whether it's in, in Australia, New Zealand, or North America, is uh, they have such a better understanding of, of how some of this um, this activity affects you long term and they're, they're making changes and and uh, you know soft is is probably the universal term for it everybody's looking at what we're doing to it now and then they're making it uh uh you know they're making the comment that that it's a different game than the one that they played 15 years ago it's a unique perspective from somebody um like you when when i mentioned to a couple of rugby playing friends of mine um they they both of them said, uh, you know, you're kind of known as like one of the hardest tacklers ever in, in the way you play the game. Um, what, uh, you know, obviously there's there's some, so you have to take some pride in that. That was kind of the point of the game when you were out there and here all these years later, um, people halfway around the world are hear your name and that's what they associate it with. Can you, can you tell me a little bit about that, maybe that reputation and what went into that, how, when when you realized that you had this this physical ability to you know put the hurt on other people who were who were out there to do the same thing that you were doing, yeah, I was just you know I always always talk to myself you know people can hurt you but you just need to hurt them better right, but yeah with my grandfather and my uncle was involved and teaching me the game as well, I just learned I just learned rugby to even rugby or league any context sport is to play hard and to play fair I was never ever. I didn't know malice in trying to kill anyone or anything. It's just just the way I was and just the way I'd be brought up. And I think I think part of it is uh, part of my life as well, the way I was brought up. And uh, struggling and all this stuff and and then just came into my game and always saw, you know, when I play rugby, think about your family. And you're doing it for your family and representing your family, right? So yeah. What um so was there ever uh an opportunity to reflect while you were still playing about that and and how hard you're being on your body or or did, was that like a completely separate thing in your mind that when you're playing oh. you play all about a hundred percent? Yeah, definitely, definitely separate. When it, when as soon as you cross that white line, it's just a um, I turn into a different person, oh, yeah. and then I worry I worry about things afterwards, right? <laughs> worry about the aches and all that afterwards. But yeah, as soon as I was on that field, man, that was a, even you know even now even to this day I'm still playing the team so. Yeah. Well, and I think that's part of what, you know, I, for the, for the podcast, you know, I'm 127 or something episodes in now, I think you'll be in, I've interviewed a few ex-professional athletes and yeah. they, they have to make that distinction because on its face, if you think about what you're being asked to do, compete at the most primal level to be, to be excellent, um, if you're out there doing a bunch of uh self-reflection and, and putting a bunch of thought into it uh you won't be able to it's it's all about just natural reaction instinct to work as hard as you can compete and yeah. and then like you say sort it out later yeah man it's like any sports right olympics whatever it is man you want to be your best and and you get the chance to show it in front of the world and and you don't want to turn up and you be in your full short so it's always got to be at your best right so that was all my thoughts. 
<laughs> yeah, it's uh, so I'm I'm looking at uh, some of the accolades and, and stuff like that that I was able to read up on, and it looks like from um, from about 1999 through 2005 or six, uh, you're you're very very successful. It looks like between 99 and 06, you were kind of the teams you were on were winning winning some kind of uh, the Anglo Welsh Cup and some Premiership titles mm-hmm. and stuff like that. You kind of had a a little bit of a sustained run of success there. Um, what what was when you're at the pinnacle of something like that? for like you say you know you're just a young young kid from new zealand you had a, a broken mm-hmm. home and and what was that like to kind of achieve that kind of success uh that you probably never really ever thought you you could you know achieve a run of success like that what what was going into those and what what were you thinking about during those years when when things were going well for you in your career well i was just for me you know it's just it's it's just fell back right off family right because it, was, it wasn't about the money for me it was just the it's just reaching the top and knowing that i could do it from what i came from and uh, at the time money wasn't money wasn't a big thing for me it was good to help i, I could help my family and all that stuff which was awesome and uh yeah just something that i just wanted to prove to my just to our families and all the people i knew and the kids that are watching that and you can anything's possible if you work hard for it, right? Is the the money like when you were playing and winning at that point? Were you making like were you making more money than you ever thought you would, or were you making a good living, or were you still having to oh, do some making, work? No, I was making more money than I've ever seen in my life, so yeah, but I think I'm another good example as well. You know, like uh, money wasn't a big thing, but I, I wasted money and helped families and all that stuff, and I had nothing to fall back on. You know, after I finished, so yeah, man, I was just uh, I was teaching the younger generation. You know, so well, I'm the best that... example for not being the person that saves money. So, <laughs> well, but I think uh, I think financial literacy was was something that was still very abstract i mean it is now don't not that i think the the society so much better with their money but at least um there's there's the idea that uh you know a professional athlete who's making money should have um people helping them with their money whereas 20 years ago or 25 years ago uh, i'm not sure that was the case people came into money and agents agents were just taking money (laughs) more than they need to Right, yeah, that's, but I, I have no regrets. I've got beautiful kids and grandkids, and you know, just started again working, so back on my feet again. So that's been good. But uh, back in those days, it was uh, it was it was great. When you um, when like it's a physically demanding sport and mentally demanding, and you, and you know, like we we're talking, it's um, you know, in North America when you play professional hockey or baseball you're always kind of just travel but you're on the continent for what you you were doing i mean you could be anywhere in the world what, what was the what was the mental toll like that like as you got older like you said you had kids and and they were growing up in in through this period and and stuff like that um was there ever a lot of thought about that not just the physical demands, the mental and, and other kind of tolls that, oh, that was taken. 
definitely been, been been away from your family and all that stuff. You know, uh, especially my kids. Oh, me and actually me and the mister got divorced anyway, but you know, I was thinking about my kids, right? Traveling and wanted to spend more time with them and yeah, man, it was a big thing as I got older. And then uh, yeah, it started getting to me a bit. You know, I think I've had a bit of a mental breakdown one one day when I was on tour, so yeah, man. Yeah, and I think that's something that um you know, people don't understand about uh, you know, entertainers, athletes, people that are musicians that the they they see the the two hours on the pitch or the one hour on the stage and think that that life is all that kind of glamour and really it's it's not and what goes into their life to be able to perform that two hours on the pitch is is a lot of grind right there's a lot of grind involved in that when i started getting into professionalism uh, it was my getaway right and uh, as i got older and all that stuff it started getting to me and then uh, it just made me hit hit home that you know you gotta start slowing down and think about your family more instead of trying to struggle with and that's the thing i was doing i was trying to struggle everywhere right i've been to 24 countries and none of my family's been to one country so yeah but then it hit me hard so how old are you and when that stuff started to you know the the physical toll of the game the the deciding that those long stretches away just weren't worth it anymore what at what point in your career were you when when those thoughts started creeping in i think i'm in my 30s okay my 30s and then yeah that's when i near the end of my career and then sort of started drinking a bit, a bit more and yeah and then had to turn up training and all that stuff and yeah, it just sort of got to me mentally but uh, it just carried on right so when you were having like as you got older did you was there something for you beyond the game or were you hanging on you know at that point to the game because that's what you knew how to do you were good at that's it all, it was that's what i knew what I, that's the only thing i knew to do in life right let's just chase the game and keep going until i don't know legs fell off but mentally it really got to me hard it's always then as I got older, started thinking, well, bro, I've done nothing. I haven't saved anything. You know, and what I'm going to do when I get back home. So were you at that point, were you trying to figure out what you were going to do next? You knew the end was coming or did you still not have, you know, the, the requisite kind of foresight to be able to be planning for that as it was barreling down on you? Yeah, well, Canada was my last trip. Seven years in Canada was an awesome seven years, but sort of the near the, the last three years sort of got to me and, you know, thinking about what I'm going to do when I get home. I've got no qualifications or nothing, and got no money. Yeah. yeah. But I saved a bit of money like working in Canada, but, you know, still I could have had a lot more if I had someone around me or if I just did better for myself. So. Well, and I think it's uh, there's there's no playbook for for what to do after being a professional athlete you know you you see a bunch of them they they get into broadcasting or you know being an an agent working on the business side or coaching or doing whatever like that and and everyone thinks that that there's a job for every ex-professional athlete in doing that but really it's the few and the far between that get an opportunity to do that the by and large everybody else is kind of just turned out into the quote unquote real world um yeah. and 
and they they don't have the skills right their life's been very regimented and and somebody's been telling them what to do for the last 20 years and now all of a sudden they're they're turned loose and they don't have those 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 abilities are aren't honed like some of the skills that 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 they have um what what went into your decision to to start giving back on the on some of the coaching and, and the mentoring that uh, that you're working at now? Well, the big thing was like when I was in England and all that stuff, I did a, a school of hard knocks looking after, you know, kids off the street and all that stuff and trying to get them into sports. But then uh, as I went on, I lived in South Africa for four years and did that as well. And into shanty towns and that, trying to get the kids into sport. But then I finally came back here and then, um, yeah, I finally, I found a job that uh, I didn't need qualifications for, but they sort of helped me on the way through. Uh, so I do NDI sports support working for uh, mentally and disabled people. And, and then I just started you know, getting into the rugby again and coaching and helping the young generation. So, yeah, so helping them with rugby. And there has to be some parallels between, you know, like you say, working with uh, with somebody who's disabled and, and teaching them and helping them. And then, you know, some of your previous career, there's the determination and, uh, you know, the, the grit and determination that you showed as a professional athlete, the, the thinking part of, of the game where now you have to sit back and try to, you know, each person that you work with is, is a little bit different and you have to kind of uh, tailor your approach to, to, to each person a little bit differently, just like you would when you were playing somebody or a team. Um, what are some of the skills that that carried you to such high heights in in rugby that you use still to this day that you look back on and say, "Oh, okay, that was a dual purpose skill that I learned when I was a professional yeah. athlete all those years ago." No, definitely with my job here, it's really it's not physically, so I can't tap anyone. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, mentally, mentally draining. But uh, yeah, it's great. But uh, yeah, a lot of uh, all my trips and wherever, wherever I've been, have sort of uh, picked up on me and sort of I like to try and work with these guys and try and use it. You know, it's just what the people are like and the Canadian people, the South African people, the way they're looking after each other. And because mm-hmm. we, you know, Samoa's about a big culture and family, and just seeing different cultures and all that stuff, uh, sort this stuff out as well. It's just sort of helped me here. Help me out with these uh, disabled and disability people. So, yeah, it's been good. So, I have I learned a lot. I can say that I've learned a lot on the road than, <clears throat> than what I did at school. So, yeah, and I think that's probably, uh, I, I don't, I, I might be wrong, but I think by and large, um, you, you get out of those kind of opportunities what you put into them. And at this stage in your life, with the success that you've had, you know, uh, you're not you're not using this as a stepping stone to anything. Probably you're, this is what you do now. And you're giving that same uh, level of effort and dedication that, that took you to those dizzying heights of, of professional rugby, Um, you know, and you find out about yourself that when you put a hundred percent of yourself into something, the rewards can be, um, can be. Massively big. I take the client I've had now for two years. I take him to rugby and everything, and he loves it. And, and it's good to have rugby by my side too, right? So he loves to get out in the community amongst people. So nah, rugby is a massive help in any way, really. Well, and and I think it it has to be for, for a game, for something, and, and it happened to be a game, but for something that gave you so much in your life, it has to be rewarding to watch the game 
give to give to other people in the same manner um, that it gave to you. Definitely, definitely doesn't. I mean, the game's changed a lot now, but you know, just to see the other young young generation getting into rugby now, now it's all big. Now it's professional. Now people were thinking, "Oh, I want to play professionally. I want to play professionally." Back in my days, it was like just play for fun, and then all of a sudden you get the chance to play. But yeah, I think it's more opportunities for the young young generation here now. But we still got to look out for them because there's just a lot of, like I said, you know, I just want to send an example for them. Um, once they make it, as I run, so me and Sammy Tupo from the All Blacks and a friend of ours, we run a sort of an agency to help younger generations. So rugby club and going overseas, so no, it's been good and we're just trying to teach them. And and that, it's the same here. Like I, I never had any designs of, of playing professional hockey and and I played hockey my whole life and now my son, he's 15 and this is his first year since he was six years old that he hasn't played hockey and it, it was exactly what you just said the, the when i played the idea was to have fun and play it seemed mm-hmm. like and now it seems like we have all these you know people are skating 12 months a year where we used to skate you know from october until march and and then mm-hmm. we'd play other sports now there's kids that are picking hockey at 11 or 12 years old and sticking with hockey and then you know the zero percent chance they're ever going to play professionally but by the time everyone in their life figures that out they've completely burnt themselves out on hockey and don't want to play after they're 17 or 18 years old that's what's happening here in australia and new zealand now you know the kids are not worrying about school but chasing sports yeah education that's the worrying thing right so and it's it's a it's a very tricky um, tricky game to get into because it, eventually you're going to get to the point, even if you do make it professionally, you need to know all the things that they're trying to teach in school. You have to have those basic uh, those basic skills down pat to be a, a functioning yeah. adult, and, and a lot of people don't have them. Yeah, man. It's cool, definitely. So, the, the, like I was saying earlier, I did chat with a couple of friends, and they both, the, the one fella said I, I had to ask you about your reputation as being the hardest tackler ever. And I just, I'm curious about, you know, is there a, a specific time in your life where, where, you know, obviously you would have been aware of that reputation um, when you were doing stuff like that? What was, what was that like? I mean, that's in a sport like that, where it comes down to physical prowess and you're in your prime, what was that like when you were walking around, going out, like you say, between the white lines, and you knew that all the other guys on that team had to know where you were all the time. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that part of your life. <laughs> so when when I first went to England, uh, my cousin Inga took me to England, and then uh, I was playing. I ended up, uh, Inga went up to Pat Lamb, and the boys went to play for Newcastle. They left Wasp, so I stayed at Wasp by myself. And then we ended up, uh, one my first year there, I was like annihilating nearly everyone, and uh, and then we ended up playing against my cousin Inger in the final, one of the Titley Cup finals, and they all they all they 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 planned their game plan around me, so they said keep don't run his way, we'll keep it on the other side. So the whole game, the whole game, they were making their game plan and putting it on the other side. But it's a, for me, it's a good feeling, right? It's just good to know that I can put something or well, be part of a team that I can that I can give I give like. You know what I can do, right? 
and help out my teammates and, and my teammates know that oh, they've got nothing to worry about. We've got the hitman here. And yeah, but yeah, for me it was like it's funny because after the games the boys would go to the VIP, you know, in hockey they all go to the VIP sponsors. I never went to the sponsors. I always go sit with the fans and and the and they're all drinking and all that stuff and just to sit with them and hang out with them. And I never I got them. I got in trouble for it, but hey, I said, man, the fans are more important than VIPs. Yeah. You're a man of the people, Trevor. No, that's it, man. Trying to be like the rock, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's, it's, I mean, at that point, um, you, you could have went to the VIP and met with the movie stars or whoever, mm-hmm. but um, looking back on it, like, who were the people that were paying for all that? And uh, it was the fans, the people that were paying. Exactly. So to be able to give back to those fans in that moment, back when you were uh, still a highly sought after rugby star, you know, there has to be a lot of pride in that. Oh, definitely. Because a couple of times I got drunk and ended up singing with the band. And, and the, one of the other things that uh, that came up was your uh, your love of KFC, and the, they said the there was like le- there's legendary stories about um, coaches. You know, some of the lengths you would go to to if you were somewhere that had had what you wanted, you would go to all these things. Coaches would be putting people up to make sure you weren't staying up all night and doing stuff like that. What was what was is first of all is is that reputation justified? Did you love Kentucky Fried Chicken that much? And, and I didn't love it that much. I don't know what people are gonna. It's just a thing to get another story. But I, yeah, it's just when I went to London near my end of my career in London. You know, the guys I got sort of they had family always coming over and always get KFC. But oh, I'll yeah. never. I'll have some a little bit, but not as much as they were talking about. Oh, okay. But then after that. Then after that, they said they said to me, "Oh, we're going to sponsor you. We're going to sponsor you." So my family got free KFC, <laughs> and, that, and that's the reason. And that's the reason why they said, "Oh man, this guy loves KFC." I said, "Bro, come on, boys." That's how <laughs> that, the started. Yeah, there's there's the truth. Now, um, that's uh, that's an interesting one because you think of you know what all the um, you know athletes are sponsored by Rolex and Rolls Royce and Nike now, so you could have. The, the rule could be, or the rumor could be that you love Rolls Royce because your family was getting sponsored by Rolls Royce and said it was KFC. Exactly. Damn. I couldn't believe it when they said it. I was going, damn, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> and then the last thing that uh, that the guys mentioned was you're kind of always uh, known for, you know, having uh, brightly colored hair and, and you, you were, your self-expression. I mean, you're a big guy people notice you you're covered in tattoos you'd have this bright bright hair you know that's a that's clearly a different uh color than than probably what was natural talk about the self-expression that went into you know the haircuts and the tattoos and and just your physical appearance that kind of made you stand out from the rest of the crew well to start off with my hair I was I was I was was young back in the days and working at a a place called uh, pack and save it's like a shopping. What do you guys? What do you guys call it? What's the what's the shopping supermarket? Shopping? Supermarket, yeah. So I was working there, and then a friend of mine, uh, he was a barber. So I took with me and the boys when they had lunch break, and then uh, he said, "Don't do you want me to dye your hair?" I said, Why? So I dyed my hair, 
And then ever since then, I left it, and then I went to watch, but it was, it was, it was yellow. You know, watch were black and yellow, and I said, oh, perfect, I might as well leave it. Yeah. And then, I, then after that, I got sponsored by Vidal Sassoon. And then next minute, I see Jerry Collins and Mark Hunt and all the boys started dying their hair. And I said, mate, don't forget, boys, I'm the original. I'm the original. <laughs> the leader, not the follower. No, exactly, man. But uh, yeah, after that, I just left it. And then, uh, yeah, coming up to the World Cups and all that stuff, I sort of started flawed, start being Dennis Rodman and just dying, dying different colors. And, you know, there's my expression of... Uh, just showing people how proud I was of, of what I was doing and and where I came from, right? And from what I came from and what I am to what I was then. It's just a you know, massive expression how happy I was and how proud. Yeah, and I think that's um it, it doesn't have to be any more there doesn't have to be a deeper meaning than that. It can just be um an opportunity to to show your pride in, in what you're doing and your abilities, right? Yeah, man. Coming from coming from that barbershop that day and then all of a sudden making a big thing out of it turned out to be to be a big thing. It was awesome. Yeah. That's, also, uh, thanks to my thanks to my mate as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Here we are all these years later still talking about that. Yeah, man. When you were um when you were going through your career, uh you know at at, at that point um the 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 idea of of mental health was yep. was not something that was spoken about as much in society um what were some of the things that you did to manage your mental health when you were when you were an athlete a professional athlete you know there's there's lots of like you said uh sacrifice that goes into being able to play those two and three hours at a time what was there did you struggle with mental health issues or, or did you not realize it at the time and looking back on it you you, you realized there was things or, or how did you manage it to be, come out the other side can i be honest yes i didn't i never ever thought of mental health i never knew what mental health was until as i got as i when i came to canada Oh, okay. That's when I found out. I didn't realize, but then uh, as soon as I came to Canada and found out, you know, all these people were depressed and all that stuff, I started looking back on my career and I was going, Barry, I went, I, I actually went through that, but I didn't know, right? And I've yeah. never been a Beatle Islander, you know, we're just happy and go lucky. We were not into like all these getting into scientific stuff and all that stuff. We never. Yeah, we never learned it, right? Until as I came, as I got older and started working in the in the disability and DI support work stuff as well, and then it started, it started hitting me. And then I looked back at Canada and looked back at all my tours and everything. I was going, bro, I did go through mental health, but I didn't realize it, right? Because I was such a happy guy, right? I didn't let anything affect me, which was weird. Yeah. Well, and then it's, it's kind of, uh, I guess, a testament to the ability that we had back then, you know, you and I are about the same age of in, in the same yeah. generation anyways. And, and it was just, um, you, you sucked it up for lack of a better term, right? You just went about yeah, your job and you did what you had to do because there was no word for what you were feeling. There was no, you know, support group immediately for, for doing it. So you just had to carry on. And, and now that we have, you know, especially in the, in the line of work that you're in now, um, it is something that people talk about. It's something that's on the forefront. And I, I feel like, you know, as a society, we're taking strides ahead to 
to to give yeah. people opportunities to deal with it. No, definitely, and it needs to be spoken about, right? It can't be. Now that I've learned this, man, it's, uh, it has to be spoken about. People need help. So I've we've been chatting for for forty five minutes or so. So I wanna I wanna be very respectful of your time, but I do. I kind of end the podcast, Trevor. Um, I ask people, you know, especially a professional athlete where success was very defined early in their life, early in their career, wins, losses, um, statistics, easy to define success. But as you kind of get out into life and as you're doing things that are different other than competing, um, the definition, the meaning of success can become very different. It can be different to, to two different people that are in the same situation. What is success to you now? What does it look like? And, and how has it changed as you've kind of matured through your life? Uh, I don't know. I think um, I think the sports being a pro rugby player was only something small um, compared to uh, what my family was, my kids. Sorry, it sort of makes me tear up a bit, but um, yeah, it's just what I can do for my family now and what I, and before I could do, but even now I can, you know, as long as my family's okay, it's all that counts. The Second Act Podcast would like to thank Ben Sound for the intro and outro music, Happy Rock. We would also like to thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, subscribe, and give us any feedback you can. Thanks for listening.